12 years ago, I was traveling to work on the tube. That's the underground train in London. And I was reading a copy of the Metro, uh, which is a free newspaper in London. Uh, they give out free newspapers, or at least they did. I don't know whether they still do. And as I was turning the pages, I was confronted with a familiar face, uh, a friend of mine, a young man called Dave Marsh, who I'd served with in the Royal Marines. Dave had an infectious grin. It was quite comical. He was always wearing this stupid grin. And in the photo, Dave was grinning because Dave was always grinning. But now he was dead. He'd been blown up in Afghanistan. Uh, a lot of my friends have died. That's the nature of the work that I was in. But reading about it in the Metro on the way to work on a Monday morning just seemed wrong. So yesterday was Anzac Day, the 25th of April, the day that Australian and New Zealand forces landed in Gallipoli in the First World War. It was, of course, their first major military action of the war. And I've realised that here in Australia, Anzac Day is the main day of remembrance. In the UK, it's Remembrance Sunday, but here it's Anzac Day. And Anzac Day is a day to commemorate and a day to remember not just the soldiers who died in the First World War, but all those who have died in armed conflict ever since. I remember Dave at random times, but always on Remembrance Sunday. And now that I'm here in Australia on Anzac Day too. Do I want Dave and others to be honoured and remembered? Of course I do. Am I grateful to those who have lost their lives in defence of this country? And I include the UK in that. Yes, I am. Some might argue that the war in Afghanistan wasn't in defence of this country, but that doesn't change the fact that those who died in that conflict were prepared to die in defence of their country. Do I consider Dave to be a hero? Yes, I do. Those are my personal sentiments, and I see nothing wrong with expressing those sentiments on a national level, and that is part of what Anzac Day is about. But, and this is a significant but, as Christians, we must have a Christian perspective on this day as we do on every other day, because there is a danger in all this. There is a danger that we start taking pride in war. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who was murdered for his opposition to the Nazis towards the end of the Second World War, he wrote this, and he was writing about the German annual day of remembrance following the First World War. Here's what he wrote. Ever since one began saying, heroes remembrance, instead of Memorial Day, our internal attitude towards the Great War has changed. Grief made way for pride in the accomplishment, sacrifice and service of our soldiers during 1914 to 18 for their people and their fatherland. And the danger is the same for us on Anzac Day, that we experience pride, but not grief. And there's a further risk that instead of honouring our heroes, we begin to worship them. And so we put them in the place of Christ. Again, Bonhoeffer wrote this, he said, on this day, do we want to remember heroes without remembering Christ? A couple of years ago, Tissa and I went to Melbourne. And while we were there, we visited the Melbourne Shrine of Remembrance. That's what it's called, the Shrine 
of remembrance. And the word shrine usually denotes a place of religious veneration and pilgrimage. And to be honest, uh, it does look for all the world like some kind of pagan temple. And when we're looking around, I couldn't find a crucifix anywhere. I couldn't uh, find a single verse from the Bible. Actually, that's not right. There was there was one, uh, John fifteen thirteen. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But it wasn't referenced. So if you weren't familiar with the Bible, you wouldn't know that it was from the Bible. There was nothing that pointed to Jesus. And a lot of people would be fine with that. Because as a nation, I think we do want to remember our heroes without remembering Christ. But that won't do for us. As Christians, we need to have a different perspective on Anzac Day. So what is the appropriate Christian response to any act of remembrance? Well, I think four things. To honour, to grieve, to repent and to look to the future with hope. Firstly, to honour. We honour the love and sacrifice made by others. And I think there's no doubt that love is a major part of this. Uh, a guy I served with in 40 Commando, Matt Croucher, was on patrol in Afghanistan and he walked into a tripwire. Uh, it was a Taliban booby trap that was connected to a hand grenade. And without a moment's hesitation, Matt dived on top of the grenade to protect the rest of the patrol from the blast. If that is not an act of love, what is it? Remarkably, Matt survived the blast. He was catapulted through the air. Uh, his day sack, which took uh, the force of it, was torn to shreds. Uh, but Matt survived with only superficial injuries. So we give thanks for that. We must not fail to love, sorry, to honour uh, a love that is greater than our own, or at least greater than any love that we're, we've been able to demonstrate. We don't get those opportunities to lay our lives down for others in a very literal way. And John 15, 13, the one verse that, that was uh, at the Shrine of Remembrance is true. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. But what we must not do, what we must not do, <clears throat> is compare any other act of self-sacrifice with Jesus's sacrificial death on a cross. That is a unique event born out of perfect love. Crucifixion was a horrendous way to die, but the New Testament focuses on the pain and the anguish of the son being separated from the father. And Jesus went beyond dying for his friends. He died for his enemies. He died for those who hated him when he hung on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus' sacrifice provides a way for all humanity to be reconciled to God. There is no comparison, and we should not try to make one. We honour those who have given their lives in active service, but we don't deify them. We don't turn them into gods. Secondly, we grieve. We grieve for the loss of life. If we know someone who has died, even if we uh, never met them, a grandparent, for example, then it's a very personal thing. We grieve the loss of a specific person or people. But we can also grieve generally and collectively for such a tragic loss of life. Every death is a tragedy because death is not meant to be. It's an intruder 
in our world. But the death of a human being at the hands of another human being is particularly tragic. In John Milton's epic poem, Paradise Lost, which tells the story of the fall of man, Adam is shown the future consequences of sin, beginning with Cain murdering Abel. And Adam wonders if this is how death will come to everyone. He asks, but have I now seen death? Is this the way that I must return to native dust? O sight of terror, foul and ugly to behold. Human beings fighting against other human beings is a horrendous evil. War is hideous and we should grieve the fact that it even features in our world at all. In this section of Paradise Lost, Adam, seeing this evil for the first time, was shocked and appalled. Are we shocked and appalled at the very fact of war? Or have we become desensitised? Do we accept war as a normal feature of the world we live in? Uh, I mean, we hear about war at an early age, don't we? We see it depicted in films and video games. We read about it in books. Uh, and we regularly see some form of uh, armed conflict in the news. And because we're so familiar with the idea of human beings deliberately killing one another, we become a bit numb to it. The grotesqueness of it eludes us. Today of all days, we should grieve the fact that war exists at all. By the way, I'm not arguing for a passive, uh, pacifist uh, position or otherwise. As Christians, uh, we hope and pray for peace. We cry out for peace. We proclaim only peace, but I think we can legitimately adopt a position where we reluctantly concede that sometimes you have to meet force with force, just as we can legitimately adopt a pacifist position, which says that we must never use force under any circumstances. I'm not arguing for either one of those positions. But whichever side of the fence we sit, I think we can also grieve the fact that humanity invests so much in war, whether or not we think our own nation's investment is necessary or not. Where might we be today if over the course of human history, we'd invested in compassion in the same way that we've invested in war? For example, in 2018, total military spending globally was 1.8 trillion US dollars. That's 2.83 trillion Australian dollars. Do you know that each year you'd only need about 8% of that budget to provide good sanitation and clean water for everyone in the world? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't spend money on defence. As I said, I'm not trying to make a case either way. I'm just saying that we should lament the fact that we live in a world where that kind of investment is deemed necessary. We should grieve the fact that war exists. Thirdly, we repent. We repent of our part in this sorry state of affairs whereby nation rises against nation. And you might say, well, I've never been to war. I've certainly never caused one. Why should I repent? Well, the root causes of war are to be found within the human heart. Greed, pride, bitterness, envy, resentment, lust for power, hatred, malice, suspicion, mistrust, fear, prejudice, and so on. If we look closely enough, we'll find some of those things within our hearts. We probably don't need to look all that closely. 
We might not be in a position to start a war, but we do harbour attitudes and feelings that lead to conflict and broken relationships. We need to repent of that. And we also need to repent of our cowardice because the kind of courage that is often displayed in war highlights the, the, the cowardice that we often display as Christians. Again, Bonhoeffer uh, wrote this. All the service and sacrifice of 1914 to 18 puts us Christians to shame. What a commitment of life for the cause of the people. How prepared are we to die for the cause of faith? Bonhoeffer did die for the cause of faith, probably about eight years after he wrote that. Of course, most of us won't have to die for our faith. But imagine if we had that kind of resolve to share the gospel. Do we imagine that any war, no matter how just the cause, can have the same positive effect on the world or anywhere near? I mean, people are willing to die for queen and country, so to speak. Why will we not undergo the least amount of discomfort or embarrassment for Christ? Reflecting on Anzac Day should prompt us to repent of our half-heartedness. And repentance isn't just about saying sorry. Repentance is about changing. So finally, on Anzac Day, we look to the future with hope. And this is where today's reading comes in. You may have wondered if it ever would. It'd be very depressing to remember the atrocities of the First World War and war in general, and to honour those who have died in those wars if there was no hope for a better future. But we don't look with hope to the day when humankind gets its act together and the world is free from armed conflict. People used to hope for that until the Great War and then the Second World War, and it became evident that humanity is not on a trajectory towards ever greater peace and harmony. Instead, we put our hope in Jesus and his eternal kingdom. And here in Isaiah, we find that hope expressed in very specific terms in relation to the cessation of warfare. Looking at Isaiah as a whole, we can see a recurring pattern. So firstly, you've got the old Jerusalem, and this includes uh, condemnation of the unjust and idolatrous generation uh, society that lives there. God's people have rebelled against God. God's people have abandoned God. Then you have God's judgment, which takes the form of God's people being carried off into exile in Babylon. And finally, you have the return from exile and the new Jerusalem, this place where people will come from all over the world to worship God and to walk with God, a place of peace where there is no more death or suffering or violence or war. And we read this. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So you have the old Jerusalem, God's righteous judgment in the form of exile, and then a return from exile and the new Jerusalem. When Isaiah wrote these words, the greater threat to Judah, to Jerusalem, came from Assyria. And yet he warns about the threat from Babylon. So even in Isaiah's day, he was talking about events that are not yet on the horizon. But the message of Isaiah is, in fact, a message of hope to all those who are waiting for God to bring an end to violence, oppression and war. 
because the new Jerusalem that Isaiah speaks of is actually the new creation. That is to say, Jesus' kingdom made complete, made perfect, when he comes again to reign in glory forever. If we're relying on human beings to get it right, there's no guarantee that violence, oppression and war will ever end. Even, Even the most optimistic person would struggle to envisage that scenario. And from a Christian perspective, we know that human beings cannot conquer sin. And so until Christ returns, war and bloodshed will always feature in our world. That doesn't mean that we resign ourselves to it. On the contrary, we do everything we can to promote peace. As we heard last week, as much as possible, we live now as we will live in the new creation. But we know that through Jesus, all things will be made new. And on Anzac Day, when we remember so many lives lost, isn't it comforting to know that one day war will cease? The future that Isaiah foresaw could never become a reality through human sacrifice. Winston Churchill famously said, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, sweat and tears. But that's not enough to bring ultimate peace. No amount of human effort or spilt blood can bring everlasting peace. Only Christ's blood can do that. And that is why today of all days, we remember Christ, our only hope for a new creation and a new humanity. So let us remember and honour those who have fallen. Let us grieve the fact that war exists. Let us repent of the evil that exists in our own hearts. And let us look forward with hope to a world made perfect when Jesus returns.